Hey, this is Doug from King's X, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. May the groove be with y'all. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection, the podcast where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. This is episode number 104, and I'm your host, Michael Citro. For this episode, I spoke with Doug Pinnock from King's X about the band's outstanding debut album, Out of the Silent Planet. It came out 35 years ago on March 28, 1988. Got to talk to Doug about this record, the making of it. Uh, we went song by song through most of the album, and uh, he's got some some good memories and some not so good memories of making the record, but uh, it was a great chat with Doug. Very thankful for his time. And uh, this is a terrific record. It deserves to be revisited. So I hope you enjoy that. We'll have that coming up in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that uh, you can go visit michaelsrecordcollection.com with links to everything there. My Patreon, where you can find out how to support this show for as little as $2 a month. And you find out what you get for uh, going above and beyond that. There's also a link there to sign up for my free electronic newsletter. You can get it every week. Get my album reviews there. Sometimes there's an extra issue thrown in there that you might not get a podcast for, so it might be worth your while to sign up for that. would love to hear from you. Write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. And, of course, you can follow me on all the socials, Mike's Records on Twitter and at Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. You might have noticed my voice is a little raspy, I went to see the winery dogs, and I haven't quite recovered from that, so uh, please bear with me. But uh, I did get to talk to Doug before that, so my voice is a little better sounding there. Anyway, without further ado, here's that interview with Doug Pinnock from King's X. Here we go. I am joined for this episode by King's X vocalist and bassist Doug Pinnock. Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. So, Doug, we're going to really want to talk to you about Out of the Silent Planet. Uh, came out 35 years ago. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Uh, the anniversary on March 28th of that uh, release. But uh, oh, before, yeah. we, before we get into that, I, I really want to know, what was your first favorite record? <laughs> um Thank you for letting me be myself again by Sly and Family Stone. It was a 45. I played it nonstop all day long on repeat for three weeks and my cousin uh took the record and hid it from me for a whole week <laughs> and, and and didn't tell me and nobody would tell me and i was freaking out losing my mind and then finally she brings it to me a week later and says i had to take it you played it all day and all night and i just couldn't take it no more <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little it was a little too much for her, huh? Yeah, I, I was a bit obsessive back in the day when it came to music. Okay, uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing because you have this this voice that is it's equal parts heavy metal, gospel, soul. Um, who inspired you as a vocalist, and and was there was there anything in your in your upbringing that kind of led to that style? Um, I think hearing Mavis Staples was the first person that I really remember turning my head to and and uh, just giving it a little bit more attention than anything else. And I was like five or six years old at that time. 
you know, but I, I just remember her, the way she sang, the raspiness of her voice and the emotion. I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know, know it was emotional or raspy. It just, I, it appealed to me. As a child who doesn't know anything, you know, this is this is like 55 or 56. So, I mean, we had Ray Charles, Sam Cooke, and Little Richard, basically, Chuck Berry and stuff like that. So we had all these different voices, but Mavis just had this voice that stuck out, and I related to it in, in a big way. Um, and I've, I think I've always tried to bring, channel her into my singing. Okay, yeah, could hear it. I could definitely tell that. You met Jerry Gaskell when you were playing in Phil Kagey's band. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, basically, it was uh, Petra had asked me to be the bass player and had asked Jerry to be the drummer. Their rhythm section quit. Mm -hmm. And um, so we agreed. I didn't meet Jerry at that time, but I was moving to Springfield, Missouri, where uh, Greg Bowles from Petra lived. And uh, on the way down there, literally, I was moving. I had a lock, stock, and barrel, quit my job, all my furniture, everything was in my car. He says, it's not happening. The band broke up. Oh, and so he said, I says, well, what do I do? And he says, come on down. We're going to play with Phil Kegi. <laughs> so uh, I came down there and we joined up with Phil Kegi band for like about nine months. And that's how I met Jerry, because Jerry was playing with relative, you know, Greg needed, Greg wanted to save face and figure out what's, what am I going to do with these two guys? You know, they've given up everything. And uh, yeah, and so that's how that happened. And then Jerry and I just stayed together after Phil. It must have been quite a, a musical education for you playing in Phil's band. Uh, what, was that, <laughs> what was that like? It was a nightmare because he's so good. And I had, I was not, I mean, I didn't know any of that stuff. I was just a little funk bass player who liked to play, you know, rock and have a good time. I wasn't a jazz player. I wasn't a guy that that knew all those notes and progressions. And and Phil was very jazzy orientated. He's he's just his own guy, and he would make up riffs like I mean, he'd say, "Hey man, we'll get me go on stage." But I just made up this riff. It goes da 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 da. And he says, I'm going to start playing it. We'll jam on it. It's easy. It goes like this. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, we go on in five minutes. And I'm going, I'm sitting there going, I can't even wrap my brain around this. <laughs> and, uh, and then we go out there and he'd start playing it. And I just go, okay, what do I do? So I would just try to fake it, you know. But uh, yeah, it was rough playing with Phil. He said that we were his best, the best rhythm section he ever played with because me and jerry were you know no holes barred we pounded <laughs> i mean that's one thing we could do is lay it down but uh when it came to the technical side i don't think either one of us were very up on it at that time i don't think we really are now i mean king's x has done some progressive kind of crazy stuff but it's not nearly our nature i don't think now is that when the progressive element started to creep in for you or or did it oh start no earlier? no no yes yes uh in kansas and genesis mm -hmm. and channel giant 1971 to those those bands emerson like a palmer uh uh mahu Vishnu orchestra you know uk um king crimson i mean all that stuff was a big deal for me in my early 20s uh and at the same time i'm listening to free and Almond Brothers, you know, and, and Deep Purple. So I was drinking it all up and learning Led Zeppelin, you know. it was. I think Led Zeppelin was probably the second record that really changed my life was uh, Zeppelin II. When I first heard Whole Lot of Love, I'm going, mm -hmm. what is this? And it sounds like Booker T and the MGs on 12, you know, with the out keyboards. I mean, because it was like, it was, it was a 
to me, Led Zeppelin's early records were basically just soul music turned on 12. Yeah. Exactly what I was looking for, you know? Okay. And in fact, it, it, that's what I've been trying to make ever since is heavy soul music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've, you've done some of that in your career. Tell me a little bit about Thanks. the formation of The Edge, which became a sneak preview. And, and what happened with the self-titled sneak preview album? The word is that you guys weren't happy with it. Oh, uh, yeah. We, it, you know, it's just, it's like a, a, a yearbook that you kind of are embarrassed <laughs> to show your friends. I can't believe I had that mullet, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I'd love us to put that record out. I mean, King's X fans would love to hear it. I mean, it was, I mean, two years, I think, or three years into our existence. And uh, I, I pulled it out not too long ago and remastered it, gave it a little compression and, and brightened it up a little bit. And I'm thinking, man, we should put this out. So, you know, I'm thinking there'll be a box set, you know, with that okay. and some other obscure stuff will be coming out. I'm pushing it anyway. So when you guys came out as King's X in the late 80s, there were there were all of these disparate elements in your music. Do you think that that hurt you in commercially in, the, in that people didn't know where to box you? Oh, absolutely. Because we were different, but we weren't we weren't like Nirvana, like what when they came out or the Beatles or or Elvis doing uh, uh, all shook up. It's like they went to ground zero, you know, and, and to go to ground zero musically, that's where you grab everybody because you're going back to the basics and everybody gets the basics. If you got a great song and with two chords. You know, girl, you really got me. You know, I mean, that's going to change the world. But we came out with, with you know, the way we sounded, which was different, which, you know, I've been told and I get it now. But uh, we were not the, 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 we weren't the band that could easily be uh, uh, accepted. You know, it took, you know, several listens to get into King's X. When mm -hmm. you did, I mean, the diehard fans are still here. But uh, but you got to play the record two or three times before before you really start to get it. And a lot of people don't have that kind of patience. Yeah, that's true. Do you take any solace in the fact that even though there wasn't a great deal of commercial success, that you ha you guys became sort of a favorite band for other musicians? Yeah, yeah, we still are. Um, there's still kids are coming, and there's still you know uh, citing King's X is a big influence, which is really. That's all you can ask for, you know. So I got to see you guys at the Three Rivers Prague Fest, and uh, uh, that was a that was a fun weekend. And you guys were when so, was that? It was God. That was what? Oh, oh man, that was maybe around twenty ten somewhere or two thousand nine. But right. yeah, in Pittsburgh, and and I got to tell you, you guys. Of all the bands that played that weekend, you guys were by far the loudest band. There's this little three piece, and you're just you're just like shaking the the rafters of the the Pepsi Roadhouse there. Um, yeah, that's that's what we do. Yeah. So uh, I, I was impressed with the uh, the. I mean, there were there were bands on that weekend that had eight or nine guys, and they had all these extra instruments, and they were they were nowhere near that that volume level, and it was it was interesting. Um, now I know that some people had sort of labeled you guys a Christian rock band back in the day. Mm -hmm. Is that another thing that sort of, you think might've held, held you back a little bit? Definitely in some areas. Um, because at that time it wasn't cool to be a Christian band in the secular world. Not mm -hmm. at all. I mean, 
there was no striper or maybe striper had just come out and they kind of got away with it you two you know three members of christian and they had a way of because they were from ireland and they didn't they didn't wear their jesus flag you know like the american christian bands had to mm-hmm. and so they they people uh, people um accepted them because on the merit of of how interesting their music was and how good it was not because they were christians in them. Mm-hmm. and we knew that we knew that if we called ourselves a christian band that we would be put in a box and we would never be able to get out of it and 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 we wanted respect from you know musicians not to be judged because of our faith but because of our music and so we really work hard at staying away from the christian thing but uh you know at the end of the day the lyrics were a bit spiritual and the christians latched onto it and the people that didn't know how to market us which was basically the whole media mm-hmm. kind of had to kind of had to put the j on king's x you know and the c word and mm-hmm. and yeah. so you know and, you know there's a lot of people that never knew and never even thought of it i mean i run into so many people i didn't know you guys were christian and I go, we weren't. I didn't even think about it. I just loved your lyrics. They were spiritual, you know. And so <laughs> I don't think it was really a big deal. I really don't think so. I think a, 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 the, the combination of all of it, you know, we were just a hard sell, yeah. you know. this band playing heavy music with you know elements of funk and 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 heavy metal and rock mm-hmm. and and throwing in these just amazing beautiful <laughs> beatles-esque power pop harmonies it really was music that defied a box and the music industry if nothing else they love to put you in a box yeah yeah and they have to that's the only way they can make money yeah. So uh, and then I'm sure that the people picked up on the fact that Out of the Silent Planet is the name of a C.S. Lewis book. And and then that only Christians, o- only people who were Christians. And that wasn't a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, C.S. Lewis is a author that who was professed to be a Christian, but his his books are really unconventional he he goes after christianity in a way that we all can appreciate it he pulls the bullshit out and shows you know i mean he just made sense of it mm-hmm. and uh that's what we loved about it. he's very controversial um some people didn't even believe he was a christian and uh and jerry and ty and sam they really really uh liked the, his writings i never read anything by c.s lewis i just went along with them <laughs> <laughs> all right so whose idea was the title um, I think it was Sam's. 
Okay. I think because that was the name of the wasn't the book named out of the Silent Planet. I don't remember. You know, I don't remember. Wow, I wonder. I know Ty and Jerry would remember, but I, I don't remember who came up with the name mm. out of the Silent Planet. It wasn't me this time. <laughs> okay. So, uh, out of the Silent Planet came out as I mentioned, March twenty eighth, nineteen eighty eight. Coming up on yeah. thirty five years as you and I record this, and um, amazing anniversary for an amazing album it was personnel obviously yourself doug pinnock on vocals and bass ty Tabor on guitar and vocals and jeff uh, i'm sorry jerry gaskell on drums and vocals and the three of you how did you develop your sound together because the the harmonies and the heaviness of the music that might be something that some bands would figure out because of the they juxtapose against each other it's like we have a little of the sweet and a little bit of the of the sour and then but on top of that, you have this you have this incredible funk and gospel influence in the music. How did you settle on your sound? Did that come from jamming or did you talk about what kind of music you wanted to make? No, we never talked to anything. Um, I just started writing all these crazy songs and they just start playing them. <laughs> it's bottom line. I mean, there's no thought behind it. Um, when we first got together, I had about 20 songs and we learned them and we started playing, you know, um, I I just write like I always do. It might have a little groove to it. It might be heavy. It might be gospely. It might be metally. You know, it all depends on what I'm feeling. I'll, I'll just write whatever's in my head mm-hmm. and whatever, because there's so many genres that I love. And, you know, my music teacher in school said that if I didn't learn anything with a music theory class, he said, I always remember one thing that rules all music, all rules in music were made to be broken. So I kind of took that to heart and decided just to, everything I do now, it's got to have a little twist to it. And, and to a fault, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even the record company, I mean, when they got over my head, they listened to it and they thought, this is a hit, but why do you guys have to screw it up with all these little things in there that, you know, that throws people off? It's hard to sell when there's too much going on. So, I mean, that was a complaint from the record company from the beginning is mm-hmm. that there was too much going on and they didn't know how to sell it. But you know, I've never been able to listen to what other people told me. And um, when we'd write music, we just wrote the way we felt it. And, you know, if the song was a skeleton and Ty or Jerry or I have an idea, we we jam it out. But there's not very much uh, conversation. We're pretty quick at things. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we'll just it, before you know it, it's done and we're moving on. You know, there's, there's never been a struggle with King's X and Ty and Jerry are one take wonders, you know, I mean, they have one or two takes and it's, that's it. You don't have to go back and dissect anything or cut and paste or, you know, do anything. They're, they're that good. Um, I'm the one that holds everybody back. <laughs> <laughs> now when, when you guys write a song and uh, some of the songs you, you have different vocalists taking mm-hmm. different parts and lead, some songs you're you sing, some parts you're not the lead singer for. How did you make those decisions? Was it based on who brought in the ideas or did you flesh uh, them the, out? With the beginning, it, you, they wanted me to sing everything just because I'm the lead singer. But um, but, you know, Ty wrote a few songs and and um, and it just got to the point where uh, the more Ty started writing songs, the more I felt like he should sing them, you know. And um, and so, you know, like Goldilocks is. Ty wrote that, Summerland, Ty wrote that, and I sung them. Um, 
I'm not happy with the way I sung him because I felt like when I heard his demo of it, he had a different kind of a a feeling when he sung it. And I felt like I didn't nail what I felt coming from him, which kind of frustrated me because I don't enjoy listening to songs because I feel like I didn't I didn't do them justice, even though argumentatively other people would totally disagree with me. So I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. But um, yeah, so when we got to Dog Man, I remember Ty said, Doug, you sing them all. Because we were like trying to figure out, you know, let's hone in on what we are and see if that's the problem where we can sell some records. And so, um, I mean, Dog Man was pretty much a one dimensional record in so many ways. And uh, and uh, people still say it's one of our best records, but it was the most consistent we ever put out that we thought you could take that record, and at least jam that down people's throats. You know, we had Soundgarden and Allison Chains and everybody. Pantera, everybody's doing their thing. So we figured, hey, this will work, but uh, it didn't. We didn't sell any records and we played Woodstock for 300,000 people and nobody bought the record. Um, and so we just thought, you know, our lot in life is not, we're not going to sell a lot of records or be a household name, but, but you know, we're a cult band and it's, hey, at least you got that and we'll be here forever as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Kind of like your, um, the old, what's the old saying? You're, your favorite band's favorite band. <laughs> That's what I've seen that post up and I go, I love it. Your favorite <laughs> band's favorite band. That's not a bad thing to be. If no, it's be not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Not much time left, much to do. Look ahead and walk on through. No one's taking sides this time. It's you. So Out of the Silent Planet was produced by Sam Taylor, engineered by Steve Ames. It mm-hmm. did chart. It reached number 144 on the Billboard yeah. 200. It was named Album of the Year in 1988 by Kerrang! magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing bad about that. Now, yeah, no. what, uh, what can you tell me about the time leading up to and making of this album? What sticks out to you? What do you remember? I remember all the rehearsing. That Sam made us do, because we met Sam a couple years before that. And he came into the camp and started uh, started working us like a basketball team. <laughs> I mean, he, he drilled us. We practiced. We played, you know, these songs over and over again, five, six hours, over and over, to the point where, you know, we could do Gretchen and Out of the Planet, Out of the Sound of the Planet in our sleep, probably. Um, uh, he, he worked us really hard. He, um, when he came into the picture, he, from his standpoint, I think he felt he had a really green band and he needed to whip us in shape. Mm-hmm. The thing was, we had been together like eight years at that point, and we already 
had a thing going and we pretty much were focused on what we did and, and, and who we were. And so by the time we got with Sam, I think he pushed us in to do the things that we already been doing, <laughs> which, which just, you know, practice makes perfect, I guess. I don't know how else to describe that. I mean, we were always singing and, you know, we always had harmonies. Sam didn't bring the harmonies in. But Sam did make Jerry sing, uh, which Jerry didn't sing before. And we had another guitar player with Ty, and all three of us sang all the time. We had three-part harmonies going before we even moved to Texas and 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 got a record deal. Um, but when Kurt left um, in like 1983, I think it was, we we became a three-piece band, and Ty and I still did our harmonies and stuff. But I did most of the lead singing. Um, but then when we got with Sam, Sam said, Jerry, you need to sing. He just said, it's very important that we all sing. And so we, you know, that's just became a part of us now. And we got used to it. Yeah. Now, when you guys were just living your lives at that time, did you, when you had downtime, did you sit around and do like, you know, like the doo-wop bands and like just harmonize and sing and practice that kind of thing? Or did you only do that when you Never. were? Never. 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 Ty will come up with vocal harmonies on a song and he'll teach it to us and we'll sing it in the studio. Okay. I'm the same way. I make up all my harmonies and, you know, play them for the guys. And then Ty and Jerry will sit down and work on them to make sure that, you know, the parts work for them. But other than that, nah, we, we're a pretty haphazard band. Really? <laughs> it just sounds so polished when you guys put it down on a record, though. Um, I know it's it's kind of <laughs> weird. It really is. It really, it really is. I mean, we're just I, I'm lucky enough to be to play with three people who literally can play in each other's heads. You know, the, you know, you don't find too many musicians that you can connect with that way. And that's what it is with us is, you know, I mean, from the day we got together, people were like going, wow, there's, what, what's up with this? They are always were just bugging and we never understood what it was and we still don't and we were it was very exciting to see the reaction to, of people when they would see us play but uh yeah we make some kind of magic that that people seem to gravitate to yeah for sure the um the song out of the silent planet is actually on gretchen mm -hmm. ghost in nebraska it's the first song on that album was that song written after the first album was done or uh, uh, yeah yeah it yeah. was and uh, uh ty wrote that song and I don't, I think we didn't have a name for it. And I think, I think I said, well, let's just call it out of the sound of the planet and, and give people something to talk about. So I go, okay, why not? You know, cause you don't do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, we always, if, if it's not cool, we'll do it. And somebody said, man, you don't put a, you don't, you don't name a song after your first album and go, well, we did. <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. I, I always like it when there's a, a title track that's on a different album. I always think that's a cool thing. Maybe I'm me weird. Too. Me too. <laughs> me too. So paint me a picture of what it was like making this record. What kind of living conditions did you guys have? How how long did it take? That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we were all living in little apartments, you know, no money and driving a beat up pieces of shit, you know, and <laughs> and um we finally got a record deal which was with Megaforce and it wasn't a big one, but it was enough to make a record in this which is what every band wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we were excited about that. I remember playing uh a show for Johnny Zazula in New York and 
and how the first three songs I kept getting shocked and I couldn't get anybody to fix the mic. And in the middle of a song, I got shocked and I screamed at him like, somebody get up and fix this fucking mic now. I just lost it. It was like, here we are playing in front of record execs, you know. And but everybody that was there, including Joey Ramone, who stood in the middle of the floor by himself and watched us, um, they all said that after I got pissed, everything changed and we fucking started playing aggressively and just, you know, just and all of a sudden people go, whoa, and that's what got us signed. Ty and Jerry have always kind of they always say that we're just following you, Doug, whatever mood I'm in they'll they'll pick up on it mm-hmm. and that's just what happens you know if i'm angry they'll be angry if i'm docile they'll be docile you know it's like we all just kind of play with each other in some ways so so uh and we got signed that night and i remember ty and jerry were just had these big wide eyes and it was just so surreal and i remember myself i got kind of scared because i thought uh-oh we're the little fish in the big sea now oh my god you know, are we that good? Are we good enough to get out here and play with these bands? And I, I got very scared. But, you know, I mean, we're here and this is why we're here. and We're going to make a record and we're going to get out here and do it. So, you know, I jumped on the bandwagon and said, let's go do this. You know, it's it's hell or high water, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your studio experience in terms of uh, being a new band. Did they did they try to save money and have you guys come in at night when the studio wasn't made? Oh, no, no, no. We did a we did a proper record. It took us a month. Yeah. You know, the whole studio was ours. Um, It was old school making records back then, though. So there's no cut and pasting. There was no digits. There was no uh, all that stuff. So everything was pure and analog. So you had to do a whole take without fucking it up. Or if you didn't, you had to go back and redo it until you did the whole song, right? You know, it wasn't very little punching in. Mm-hmm. Um, There's no auto-tuning and all that kind of stuff. So so it was pretty, um, you put your head to the metal and, and went for it. Uh, very hard work. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't enjoy those first few records, making them, because I'm not used to being under a microphone microscope and especially back then being a very insecure musician at that time anytime you critiqued me or told me i was doing something wrong i'll go back into my shell so so those outside of the planet for me uh, you know it's um i feel like an abused child sometimes oh, man. <laughs> but yeah. but in my ignorance you know um uh, you know i remember doing uh goldilocks in I got the track done and Ty came in and didn't like it. So that sounded like Tina Turner and I needed to lighten up a little bit on it. And so I went back and sung it back differently, which at that point I had lost my whole bearing on the song. And, and so I just sang what I felt they wanted me to. And that's why I, I have a hard time listening to it now because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't own it from my standpoint, you know, uh, I look back now and go, Oh, wow, it's beautiful. What what am what am I complaining about? But you know, everything to me is tied up emotionally. Whether I like something or not, it's not if it sucks or not. It's if if I felt good doing it. Yeah, it's interesting to me that so many great songs, not just in your catalog but in history, are are songs that maybe the people that made them 
had a hard time with or, or oh, know, yeah. weren't, weren't that happy with them. I think that turmoil does something to the music that makes it better or something. I, I think it does. I wish we could tap into that more. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's jump into these songs. The uh, In the New Age is mm-hmm. the title, or the lead track, I should say, and it, mm-hmm. it, it lives up to its name. It's got this long, lengthy, New Agey intro to it. And yeah. then it kind of sounds like the Beatles on steroids. And then your vocal point, your vocal part comes in with this heavy soul feel to it. song to lead off with with that kind of a long new agey intro that was pretty ballsy you know that's uh yeah it was i was concerned about it you know um but um you know i was vetoed and put it on first you know i think i think that new age stuff was way too long at that point i would have took the record off and put another record on you know Mm -hmm. i said this this is so long this intro no it's gonna work okay trust us you know and you know nobody complained i guess so (laughs) (laughs) i think the second half of the song is just so good that nobody worries about it anymore okay good (laughs) yeah that 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 she's so heavy meets line the family stone (laughs) yeah yeah that's perfect uh description so you you talked about goldilocks and how you weren't comfortable with it because you felt like it was more ty's uh emotional connection to that song and Mm -hmm. it's got these beautiful you got your beautiful three-part harmonies it's kind of a metal ballad yeah totally Wishing you could be the one, but now 
I, I haven't heard you guys in the last several years, but are you, have you played that live or you just don't play it live? Cause um, you, cause of your I, feelings it's, it's, it's a little too much for me to sing now because you know, that's a hundred years later and I'm a hundred <laughs> years old, but, um, but we've been uh, doing a Goldilocks for Jesus since uh, we do Goldilocks every night. We have not, not done Goldilocks every night. It got to the point where the crowd sang it so much that we let the crowd sing it now. So for probably the last 20 years, we end the night with Goldilocks and we just turn the mics around and play it softly. And, and the whole crowd sings the whole song to the end. That's and we thank everybody and, and, and go home. So that's that's how that works out. But no, I, I can't sing. I shouldn't say I can't sing. I can't do it justice, you know, like mm-hmm. I used to. For me, this album really, the meat of this album for me personally is the back-to-back songs, Power of Love and Wonder. Those two songs mm. together are just powerhouses. about what you remember about writing and or recording those songs yeah i remember it makes me wonder was we had finished all the songs and sam said okay guys write a song together we need one more song just just shit out a song and sam handed ty acoustic guitar and ty drop detuned it and he started playing this riff and we started, we just kind of fell in and built the song up. It, it happened so quick. I don't remember. I don't remember any of it other than how we started it and how it was ended. You know, it's like, okay, it's done. And it's like, wow, okay, cool. You know, even when I look, listen to it now, if I pull it out, I'm kind of, there's, there's, I'm not attached to it. I just go, wow, where did we come up with that? That's a lot of cool stuff going on in there that I don't remember, you know. <laughs> There's a wall between us, a partition of sorts, and it makes me wonder. There's a sign ahead, says it's gonna be okay, and it makes me wonder. Um, power of love. I was just trying to do a Metallica thing, you know, 
I was into Metallica and uh, Sepultura at that time, and and I just wanted some kind of chunk song, but I wanted to wanted to wanted to, if 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 Metallica went to a black gospel church, you know, and that's that's what it turned into, you know, yeah. you got these three part gospel harmonies with the call and answer, and you got this chunk underneath it. Yeah, it's uh, that's exactly. I kind of uh, I described it as a sludgy metal riff with kind of a and kind of a mid-tempo power pop song disguised right. with this sludgy metal riff it's i think it's one of the best songs you guys have done i think it's fantastic thank you well don don said that was i think he's told me that was his favorite song by king x i mean summerland was he loved summerland but but uh power loves he he explained to me every riff and every vocal line what it meant to him one night we got drunk and he just gushed on that song to me it's pretty cool i'm sorry i missed it who who did you say dime from pantera oh okay okay yeah yeah i can see that that's that's fantastic so there's co-writing credit for marty warren on sometimes tell me about marty warren yeah marty marty and ty went to, went to high school together and played guitar together they learned to play together they played very similar and they're very used to playing with each other and they wrote a lot of songs together um, they wrote some sometimes on the first album together. They wrote, uh, so I can't remember how many, but just like three or four songs that Marty wrote with Ty. And um, and yeah, and Marty, you know, I don't know why we never put Marty in the band. He's a badass guitar player. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's he's also a co-writer on Far, Far Away on this album. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah. him and Ty lived together and they would hang around and write songs together. And, when we get together to when Kings would get together to make a record, you know, we'd bring our songs in and Ty would bring his tunes in and and there it was. Marty had written them with them, which were cool songs. We, we had no problem with that. The single was King, uh, mm -hmm. just so darn catchy. Uh, where did the yeah, 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 yeah part uh, come from? Was that always in there? Or was it meant to be a placeholder? Do you remember? No, I, I, I always put that in there, and I don't know why. Maybe I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put a lot of yeah, yeah, yeahs in songs just because it's something I've known my whole life from the time. I mean, <laughs> even my mother said before I could talk when she turned the record player off, I'd start crying and I'd go, give me yays. I want yay, yay, yay. <laughs> you know, and um, I, I think that back in the day, you know, everybody was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so this little kid didn't know how to speak, but he remembers, yeah, 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 in the music. And I've always put the yeah, yeah, yeah in it. 
I think about that even now, every now and then I'll throw some yes and go, why do I do that? I'm going, <laughs> it works, I guess. <laughs> Good enough for the Beatles, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you remember about uh, the writing and recording of King? Because that one is obviously a special one in your catalog. Well, what happened with King was I wrote King. And if you ever heard the demo, it sounds exactly like Bow Wow Wow. Okay. okay the drums, the drums are the jungle thing that Jerry was playing. The guitar part is the same guitar part, but it had a lot of echo behind it, like Bow Wow Wow. And time made the guitar part distorted with Bow Wow Wow. They're clean, you know. And I sang it like the girl that was in Bow Wow Wow. I go, you are the one who causes me pain. You And I actually sang it that way. And we have a demo of it. And, it, and I even played slap bass on it. Um, and literally, it was a Bow Wow Wow copy song. Okay. Um, when, we, when we were in the studio, we were laying the track down. And I remember in the middle of laying it down, I went, hey, this ain't, this is, this, we can't do this. I said, let's change it. <laughs> said let's make it heavy i changed my bass part and i said ty just do what you want and we kicked in and it and that happened and we went now i like that you know it has substance it rocks it kicks Mm -hmm. it's not goofy new new wave uh dated rock you know and um and we left it um and it worked out um but a goldilocks should have been the single but but uh somebody in the camp the powers that be decided they didn't want um, Goldilocks as our first single because they thought we would uh, get famous too quick. Really? Yeah. Okay. I guess Can that wasn't the. That? I guess that wasn't it, the it, problem. <laughs> well, it fucking backfired, didn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got we got King on Headbangers Ball, and they played it four times, maybe. Mm. And that was it, you know. And then we had to fight to get Summerland on there, and it was played a couple times. Then uh, I remember uh, It's Love came out and that got jammed. I mean, it was played a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, We Are Funny Who We Are did, did okay. Um, and, but when we got to Dogman, we, we uh, did a video of Dogman. It was a badass video and it got played twice on MTV. At that point, we realized, you know, these people don't care about us. Yeah. Yeah, they did definitely find uh, bands that they like to promote and, you know, just like anything else, yeah. like just do, yeah. like American radio. I mean, there are, yeah, there are exactly. so many bands that are so big around the world but couldn't get a cup of coffee here because they were just deemed, oh, America, yeah. won't, America won't like this, so we're not going to play right. it. 
you know, right. maybe maybe mm-hmm. let us decide what we like. Maybe that. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, that's what I say. Yeah. But it's just such a it, it's great that you guys were able to make it heavy and just retain in King that poppy element, that that catchy mm-hmm. earworm infectious type of, uh, of of quality that it has. Awesome. And it's it's funny that it came from uh, sort of the the, the re- origin of it, basically, because Bow Wow Wow, I believe, was just the the ants from Adam and the Ants plus a, a new singer. Is that? Oh, really? I, yeah, I believe so. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I just thought the bass player was just badass. It's like, I mean, he just he slapped yeah. like crazy on that, and that was what I loved about the about the band. Okay, so um, "Shot of Love" also was a single. So mm-hmm. you, you didn't even get Goldilocks. Didn't even get to be the second single. Was that again nah. uh, the record company or? I guess, I guess so. You know, back in the day, I remember there was so much going on and there was so many speculations and everybody's, you know, was trying to make it, make us make it. And so it's like a big whirlwind to me. Actually, it's like I was just, uh, it, it, the pressure, it, I, I just felt, I don't know, I. it's hard to explain. It was... It was just, it was like almost overwhelming in some ways. Mm-hmm. You just, it's like you get on this train and it's, and it's just rolling down the track and, and, and everybody's doing their thing to keep it on the track. And you're sitting there not knowing what people are doing, you know, you're just watching it, watching the train flying down the track. That's, that's how I felt about those first couple of records. Mm. visions the the final track on this was the last one i would talk ah, about yeah love the heaviness of this one and the Me tempo too. change at the end where it gets like more frantic what uh-huh. uh what can you tell me about writing that and coming up with those parts <laughs> yeah i uh, i remember writing that song and you know i mean we're hanging out with metallica and thrash metal people and stuff and i'm listening to thrash metal and i'm thinking and we're playing with these bands and when i wrote um that song, actually, we weren't playing with anybody at that time, so I cannot attribute it to playing with people. But I remember just listening to metal and the fast things, and I thought, let's put some, you know, this fast part into this song and make it like a black gospel church, you know, where they double time everything and people are dancing and jumping around and the pastor's jumping and shouting and screaming. That's where they came from, but I knew that it would work in the metal genre because that's how those drummers played. And so I thought, let you know, stick that in the song. And I wrote that whole song before I handed it to the guy, so it was done. Visions 
and you know, I remember when Ty uh, came up with um, in the New Age, no, uh, Pleiades. He wrote Pleiades, and it didn't get on the first record, but he wrote Pleiades uh, bef- uh, a couple years before that. And I remember the drop D tuning was so unique and so easy and uh, was so inspiring that I went to my house and drop detuned my guitar and, and wrote almost all the songs that I put on the Out of Sound of Planet record in drop detuning, which was a whole new, whole new thing for me. All the songs I wrote before that didn't, didn't have that type of tuning. So mm-hmm. they, were, they were more like over my head and uh, uh, you know that, that kind of thing, just regular tuning songs. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, um, um, so visions came from that. You know, I dropped detuned and just was playing another riff, making you know, trying to make drop detuned riffs up. <laughs> What's your approach to lyric writing? Do you carry a notebook around and jot stuff down as you go, or do you just come um, up with no. it off the top of your head? I have to come up with it off the top of my head, but it takes a long time to get it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, lyrics always come late. Lyrics always take me longer, way longer to write than than songs. Um, I can write songs like a drop of the hat real easy. It's so much fun. I love it. But when it comes to melodies and words, the pressure, I put so much pressure on me because I know that the words and the melodies can make or break the song. Um, and so that really bugs me. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. So I, I, I spend a lot of time on lyrics. A lot of times, you know, when I'm having conversations with people or I'm watching the news or watching a movie or something or, or just hanging out with relatives or something, somebody always says something that's funny, witty, or just going, I never heard it in that way. Or somebody can explain something in a way that I've never heard it explained that way. And so my motto is is always been, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say. It's usually the same things. I just want new creative ways to say it. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's what I try to do now is is try to, um, I just dig down in myself and just come up with words and try to make them work. And as long as I can get you know, a few words in there that make sense. I can, I can, you know, screw around with the rest and, and, and come to a, a, uh, an image in my head and, and make it work in some ways, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Doug, I've never asked anybody this question before, and I'm not mm-hmm. really sure why I've asked, never asked this question, but do you recall the first time you held this record, your first record that you've made with King's X do you remember get, get, getting it in your hands, how that happened? Did, did you open a box yeah. and there it was? Yeah, exactly. We got, the, we got the box. Sam said, records are here. And we went up, went to where, I, I can't remember where we went to get them, maybe the Sam's office. And I remember he handed us all one and we opened it up and just, I sat there going, wow, I got a, we got a record. You know, it's, it, this is ours, you know. And uh, it was very exciting. It really, really was. Yeah. Um, it's surreal. You know, the dream came true. Now what's next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was there a, a part of you that just felt that weight lift off you of this is the thing we've been working for and now it's here? No, no, no. no. It's just a part of, you know, it's like you're digging a ditch and 
you, and you know the ditch is a mile long and you're just at the beginning of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you guys toured this record, how long were you on the road before you got off the road to to uh, record your second record? We did nine months, I think, on the road. Uh, I'll never forget that. It was like I wanted to come home. I had never been gone away that long. And it was like we were getting to the place where, dude, we just got to go home for a minute. Just I can't take this anymore. You know, it was, it was really pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, getting home and just being free for about six or seven months and then writing new songs and, you know, and then working on the next record. So, yeah, it was it, it was I think we we're just starting to get used to being a working band with a record deal. You know, mm -hmm. you go on tour, you come home, you do press, you you have to do all these events and all this stuff, all the stuff it entails. You got to sell yourself, which is something that I wasn't good at. I don't like to sell myself because I did, you know, you, yeah, to sell yourself, you got to feel like you got some work. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have much self-esteem. So it was like real hard for me to go tout myself in the band, you know? Yeah. I, I, I sometimes the interviews were, I, I got so serious and I, I look back now at all those interviews and I'm going, God, you were so serious. Doug. You know, I can just laugh and lighten up and have fun, but you know, we didn't know. <laughs> Yeah, I can, well, I think a lot of people can relate to maybe not feeling uh, secure with themselves and and not wanting yeah. to, to sell themselves. So you know, it, I think it's right. a very human human thing, nah. and, and people don't think about that in their their quote unquote heroes or rock stars. They don't think about nah, don't. them having those same same insecurities. Yeah, they think every second of our life is ecstasy. Oh, we're doing what we want to do. We're playing for people. We're doing what we love. Oh, you open your mouth up. You must be so happy you can sing. Oh, you must be so happy that you can sing so well or blah, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, that is not what goes on in our minds at all, you know. And it's like, we think we suck. We're always critiquing ourselves. We're always trying to push the envelope, trying to 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 achieve that that. Uh, that thing where we could say that was a good song, mm. you know, <laughs> instead of tearing everything that we do apart, you know, um, you know, like I always tell people, it's like when you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you think? Do you say, oh, my God, I am so good looking. I am so proud of myself. Oh, I, I, it's been so long. It took me so long to get this beautiful. Oh, my God. I hope everyone loves me. You know, that, that is not what you think. And, and so making music is the exact same thing. It's like looking at yourself in a mirror. Mm. If you love it, you got problems, buddy. You're going to you're not going to go far because you love yourself too much. and You're not going to get any better. Doug, how much say did you guys have in the uh, the artwork and the, the presentation of the album? On um, the artwork, we really worked hard on. Um, but 
it was more Sam's thing. Sam wanted us to have album covers w- that was made by the same person to get that consistency, you know, like mm-hmm. the Iron Maiden thing. And, sure. you know, and, and, and Sam was trying to get our brand going and he would come up with all these ideas and we're a kind of a spontaneous band. We don't like pretense. And so when Sam would come up with things, we totally vetoed him all the time. I mean, he wanted to, because, because I was 40 years old or 39 years old when that record came out and I looked like I was 21. So Sam wanted, wanted me to just name myself boy, just B-O-Y. It's like sting, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And I went, no. And we argued about it. And I says, no, I said, my family's last name is Pinnock. And if I changed my name and went out there and became successful, I would break my family's hearts. You know, I said, I am Douglas Pinnock. That's my name, Doug Pinnock. And he didn't argue with me about it. But, uh, you know, for all I know, if I could have had to call myself boy, you know, I might be a household name. Who knows? <laughs> or, the controversy, or the controversy of being black and being called boy, uh, you know. Yeah, that that's probably a... A suggestion that looking back, that wasn't a great, a great idea. No, no, <laughs> we we videoed that. We videoed that one. Sam yeah. got his way a lot, but that time he didn't. So anyway, Sam knew this guy that was a painter. He painted pictures, and he painted pictures for NASA, uh, illustrations for NASA, and he showed us some of the guy's work. And so Sam called him up and said, "Would you uh, make a draw a album cover for us based on Out of Silent Planet, the al- the the book?" And so he did. And he said, we want the Texas, put a Texas kind of image in there because Sam always believed like the Z, he came from the ZZ Top camp. He was assistant manager to Bill Hammond's ZZ Top. And his whole thing was the way ZZ Top did it. Being that little old band from Texas, being the band that nobody knew much about, the band that everybody, everybody played in the band and nobody really talked. And it was this, he wanted us to be this kind of uh, uh, this mystery like ZZ Top was and really have a lot of talk about Texas and imaging. Because if you if you put Texas in your music in Texas, Texans will never, ever not champion you. Texas is a different thing. If you talk to Texas, you're a part of the family. Mm-hmm. And if you look at ZZ Top, their whole thing was Texas. I mean, it was so Texas that I wanted to live in Texas. You know, all the Mexican Blackbird and LaGrange and all that stuff. I'm I'm seeing pictures of riding down dusty roads in Texas, you know. And even now I look back at when I watched the documentary on ZZ Top, it was like it was all about Texas. Yeah. And that's what that's what was the endearing thing about it. And that was a mascot. And Sam tried to do that with us. And we were pretty uh, resistant. Mm. as we are with just about everything anybody comes along with. <laughs> King's X is pretty hard to work with because we just won't listen to anybody. We're going to do it our way at, at, to a fault. Yeah. That's a fantastic uh, documentary, by the way. Great. That's it is. Topic. It really is.
so um this album and i gotta tell you you're absolutely right you looked so much younger than your actual age when that album came out <laughs> ridiculous yeah <laughs> uh you definitely got you guys definitely had the look there at the time that you know you could have could have made it but again i think just that they just didn't know what to do with you guys you guys yeah. were you defied being pigeonholed and that's right to me as a progressive rock fan I am champion of that. I think that's mm-hmm. the way it should be, but Me too. you know, so many are willing to go, okay, we'll, we'll t- tone down this part of thing that we, that we like to do to do this and be successful. And yeah. you guys didn't comp, you didn't make that compromise. No, we could have, but we didn't. Yeah. So looking back at this record 35 years later, what are your overall thoughts about out of the silent planet? How do you, how do you reflect on it? Well, I've hated that record for years and years and years until about a year ago because I never play it. And I I had a few drinks and smoked a bunch of weed and thought to myself, you know, I'm going to put this record on, put my headphones on and just listen to it with an open mind. Just come on, Doug, you can do this. Stop hating this record. And I did. And for the first time, I actually... I was blown away, actually, um, because it was everything that I wanted it to be, but I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I mean, Alice in Chains put their first record out and Soundgarden, all those bands put their music out and it was so heavy and it was had this drop D element and it had all this angst and stuff. And I just, you know, I was so jealous of all those bands, even in, in my, they're my friends, too. But and I thought I was on the planet was just a weak rendition of of what came after that, you know. But now when I listen to it and realizing that there was nothing before that to compare it with and and for what it is, it's pretty crazy, crazy innovative record now that I look back at it, you know. Mm-hmm. But 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 when I when it first came out, I was like going, man, it's so weak. There's hardly any symbols. It sounds like there's no power to it. I just felt like it was just a really sonically weak record. Well, I'm glad you were able to at least make peace with it. And yeah, I and, did. and obviously live is a different animal because you've been playing some of these songs oh, for oh, yeah. many, many years. Mm-hmm. Well, we had, a, I mean, we wanted the, the record to sound like we did live, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, you know, back in the day, studio uh, producers and, and engineers had another mindset, you know, it was all about clarity and cleanliness and take a week for drum sounds and, you know, and all these things and not, not too much low end in your bass rig. Cause it's going to screw up the mastering you know, or to not too much high end here. And this, you know, and there's just all these rules that you had to follow to make analog music, mm-hmm. to make sure it was the clarity of it. And, and to jump forward when we got together with Brendan, Brendan threw all that stuff out the window and was just turning knobs and turning things up and down and making it rock, you know? And that's, that's what I was wanting the first four records to sound like. Um, but, uh, you know, they are what they are. And it, and they did progressively get better. I mean, like um, um, uh, Gretchen Goes Nebraska, uh, CD Magazine gave it number one sonically. So mm-hmm. I guess we weren't doing doing that bad, you know. But, um, yeah, the first record for me sonically left a lot to be desired. Your favorite band's favorite band, though. That's uh, yeah. that, that came through. <laughs> um, yes, it did. It sure did, man, because <laughs> nobody, else, nobody else feels that way about it. Yeah, you know, 
your uh, your most recent album is called Three Sides of One. It came out yeah. last year. How'd that do for mm. you, or how's it doing? I guess it's doing okay. I haven't checked, but I mean, everybody bought it, and everybody's still talking about it. And you know, I mean, the fans, and you know, we're still, you know, people are still talking, and we're still posting songs. And mm-hmm. out on the road, we're doing like half a set of new songs, and people are really liking it and letting us know that they're digging the new songs. So. Um, it's all, it's all good. I mean, 14 years before, you know, to put a record out and we were, uh, you know, we were quite, quite pleased at the response. Now I know, you know, it's like when you, when you watch, um, sports and an mm-hmm. athlete get athletes start to get a little older and mm-hmm. things start to slow down a little bit. You guys have been doing this a long time. How often <laughs> are you able to, uh, how often are you able to get out and play live or what's a comfortable amount of shows for you in a year? Well, I don't know about comfortable, but um, at this point, since we don't take a tour bus anymore because tour buses take all our money and we go mm-hmm. home broke, so um, we had to cut down to weekends. And so we do probably a weekend a month. Um, we will go to like, we're, next thing we're doing, I think we're playing Chicago, Madison, Wisconsin, and Detroit. And then we'll fly home, you know. Uh, our road crew loads up the U-Haul and they head up to Chicago area and we play, you know, the weekend and go home. We do that once a month. And uh, and that's about it right at the moment. You know, um, Ty and Jerry don't want to get on a tour bus ever again, they say. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, are you all in California now? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, Jerry's in New Jersey with his wife. He's okay. And uh, Ty lives in Kansas City with his wife. And I'm here in L.A. Okay. Dealing with the traffic. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have to go anywhere. And when That's I do, good. I just deal with it. And yeah. usually it's in the evening if I'm going to the whiskey or going to Rambo or going to see a band. But during the day, I, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> All right. Well, the, uh, the band is King's X. The album 35 years ago came out, out of the silent planet, yeah. started everything for King's X. God 35 years <laughs> yeah sorry to make to, there's to people to make that listen, feel that there's, it, no not at all but there's but i have friends who weren't born when that record came out it's wow. so cool yeah who is the the most unusual person that's ever admitted to you they were a fan of who have you met that you would never have expected to be a king's x fan that that likes your music i couldn't name many i mean uh joey ramon shocked me um uh, Tom Morello, oh, no, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, singer for Slayer. Uh, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I when it comes to names, I know them until I have to remember them. Yeah, but uh, he, the t- he, uh, he told Jeff Amon one day at a King's X show, he said we were his favorite band. That's a singer of Slayer. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and uh, Andy Summers did a whole tutorial on King's X, how we, he says we're his favorite band. And that shocked me. That's um, great. Cause I'm a huge uh, police fan. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, the, like when you're saying, you know, your favorite band's favorite band, um, I could, the list is exhausting of mm-hmm. the, 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 the rock stars and famous people that have come up to me and said how much they, they love our music. You know, Elliot Easton, had tears in his eyes when he shook my hand and said how much he loved us. So um, I remember the keyboard player for Leonard Skinner stood on the side of the stage with tears in his eyes when we did Goldilocks. I mean, we've watched people, you know, just, and it, it's encouraging more than anything that's going on. Are you kidding? These people are who, 
you know, we listen to and, 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 and we learn from them, you know, Billy Cox or mm-hmm. Taj Mahal, those kind of people. And to know that, that they like what you do is you just feel like you're a part of the family. That's great. Visit the band online, kingsxrocks.com. It's at KingsX on Twitter and yeah. KingsX official on Facebook and Instagram. Doug Pinnock, thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> to talk to me about this album. I think it's, I, it still holds a special place in my heart among your catalog. And um, awesome. it, it's great to look back on on this uh, anniversary at, at such a an important record in your career. So thank you so much thank for your time. You. Um, what date is it? What did it is, when does it come out? Or when did it come out again? I want to write that down so I can make <laughs> March, say March 28th, 1988. <laughs> March 28th. Okay. And yeah, 88. I'll, I'll never forget dates because being being born 1950, it's easy. Everything's in lumps of tens for yeah. me. So I'll, I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, thank you so much for your time. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. All right. Have a good day, man. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.